Welcome to Strange Weekly News. In this show, we're taking a, a look into the news and headlines to pick out curious reports of the strange, the weird, and the mysterious. Anything from UFO news to science advancements, the paranormal, and stuff labeled fringe science and fringe phenomena. Each news item we go over in the show, I will place all the links to them in the description box below once this live show is over, as well as chapters on the timeline index. Welcome to all of our first-time viewers and listeners and everyone watching this live. Zoltan, Zenza, Chris, Sever, Paul, Cosmic, Jonicide, Scott, Jessica, Viking. Welcome, everyone. Before we get started, I would like to mention that on Tuesday was top five Bigfoot pieces of evidence with Bigfoot researcher and investigator Emily Fleur. Then yesterday... Thursday on Mysteries with the History with Jimmy Church from Fade to Black Radio, we covered time travel. And let me just tell you, that video has received such incredible feedback. But today is Weekly Strange News, and it is our monthly roundtable with my dear friends, Jimmy Church and Micah Hanks. Let's bring them in. Guys, how's it going? Good evening. Good evening. Nobody saw that, did they? I was no. ripping a bong hit really quick um, <laughs> before the news. Hey, everybody. How you doing? Hi, oh, James. Wow. It's so good to see your face. Dear boy, how are you? I am fantastic, Micah. And uh, and how are you? Oh, you know, I'm just as dandy as the Daisy Gandalf. Here in the Shire, everything is beautiful. And uh, feeling like spring, magical, perhaps. Man, we're in the middle of a blizzard in in Southern California. I know you've heard about that. We've got a blizzard uh, going on right now here in the Mojave Desert as I speak. Uh, Throughout today and tomorrow, I'm going to get five feet of snow. Not making this up on February 24th. 2023, yeah, I've uh, woke up with uh, snow the last two mornings, and it's freezing cold. I've got a portable heater over here. I've got the furnace blasting. I've got multiple shirts on, a couple pairs of socks. But, uh, yeah, it's crazy. It's it's crazy. You're out there. Everywhere where it's supposed to be cold, it's warm. Everywhere where it's supposed to be warm, it's cold. <laughs> yeah. Well, but so we have one thing in common, though. I mean, you've got precipitation out there, and although it's not snowing, you got the snow. We just got balloons falling from the sky over here on the East Coast. Yeah. Wow. He's also that got jokes. Good. Here's the thing. That was a good one. But he said balloon <laughs> so well. He said balloon so well. Okay, so today, let's start off with this. Um, we're gonna no, start- let's start off with this. So last week, oh, we did no, a Starbucks no, gift start- card giveaway and oh, Applejack's 971 won the draw and received a $10 Starbucks gift card. So this week, we're going to do the same thing. But the Whoa. winner will be able to choose between a Starbucks gift card or an Amazon gift card. So Whoa. to enter the prize draw, you need to type this into the live chat. Okay, you listening? Okay, it's typing. hashtag uh-huh. round table. Exactly as you see it here. I'm about to put it in the live chat now. I'm placing it in. As you see it in the live chat, hashtag round table. Okay. And we're going to start doing the please place in your hashtags in because then we're going to spin the wheel at the end of the show to draw the winner. So go okay, ahead, type on, that in the on, chat. I'm going to I'm going to kick things up a notch. And you only need to do it once. So I'm okay. going to share my screen here. 
Give me okay. just a moment. Can can we can we not can can we kick this up a notch? Can we kick this up a notch, Christina? All right. Oh uh, no, so, let's, kick it, let's kick it up a notch. Do you have me on mute or something? All right. How do you want to kick it up a notch, sir? Okay. I say, I say we kick it up to 30 bucks. Well, see, I'm the one doing the Amazon or the Starbucks card. I know. And I just sent you $20. Well, then, in that case, you got to thank Jimmy for this one. The winner will be able to get a $30 Starbucks or Amazon gift card. The winner will be able to choose. Place in hashtag roundtable. We'll do the draw right at the end of the show. And then I will give you more details after Come that. On. You only need to put the hashtag in once in the live chat. Okay. So it's okay, going to be. Ma Micah, right. step up. Step up. No, Micah, just put in the hashtag. <laughs> put in. Hashtag roundtable because even Jimmy and Micah also have the potential <laughs> to win as well. We got 40 entries. All right, so it's gonna be a great show. Mike, like, <coughs> so let's oh. let's start off with no, our let's start off with this. Okay. We're gonna start off with this because oh, I've got to raise you five, Jimmy. Okay, no. you raise me five. I'll come back, I'll raise you five, and we'll have a hundred dollar gift card before the end of the show. <laughs> so um uh, I posted this earlier today, and because Micah, the, you know, the big brain, right, uh, Christina, we got Micah on the show with us. And, I thought I was the big brains. And, uh, well, we're going to find out right now. So I posted uh, a shot earlier today. Uh, this is uh, Labradorite. Okay. Isn't it beautiful? I just got it. Nice. And you see the reflection in the light? Mm-hmm. What is that called when you have reflection in a gemstone and you see something else like that? What is that called? I found out today because I posted a picture of this section of the stone right here. And I did a close-up of it, and there's three stripes in it, right? And I did a close-up of it. I posted the picture and because I was looking. I was like, what is that? And I see, you know, I'm seeing something uh, with my eyes. And uh, anyway, see those three stripes? You see those stripes popping up right mm -hmm. there? See those? Yeah. So I did a close-up of that, and I posted it on social media. I said, I didn't tell everybody what it was. What do you see? I got all kinds of things. It's a beach. It's this. It's a fence. It's the right. It's how you perceive it. And uh, it is called mica. Are you ready? Is it called mica? It's called chatoyancy. Chatoyancy. Oh, I didn't think that's what that was called. <laughs> and. And uh, so in honor of having Micah on the show, I wanted to teach Micah something today, but it turns out he says he already knows it. Oh, no. No, I didn't know anything about Chitoyancy. Uh, uh, Only translucence and, and uh, striations. Uh, no, that's, 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 that's amateur hour. Yeah. Stridations, that's, that's Randall Carlson amateur stuff. Yeah. No, Chitoyancy. Isn't that beautiful, though? It is okay, very pretty. So we're, up to 20, uh, so we're up to what, 40, 50 bucks for the gift card. Dang, you guys are being really nice to those watching this live. James, thank you so much as I raise you $20, Jimmy. So if you win, 
today, you get a $50 card. I love this. <laughs> be interesting. Love I'm excited for this. All nice. right. So now, Micah, before we get started, do you want to say anything? Do you want to bring up anything before we bring in our first article? Well, only that I have a huge surprise for you, Christina. There is a breaking story that I didn't tell you anything about before we got on the mic. And this is like huge. I'm just kidding, actually. She loves it when oh, I do that, yeah, folks. I was on the edge of my seat. I, I am gonna... just about to drop you out of the stream. <laughs> so fast. I'm cool. <laughs> I mean, it's Mike, it's the debrief. And they've been dropping stuff all day today and yesterday. Yeah. So normally so, yeah. when I say that, you think, you know, wow, my, Hanks really does have something for us. But no, I was just messing with you. I'm sorry. I have never oh, seen man. you do such a bad joke. And I've known you for a while now. That's the first time. Now I'm you're texting, in my black book. I'm oh, texting this Millen right now. Fire <laughs> this dude. <laughs> He's off <laughs> desk. <laughs> penalty. All right. So penalty. Yeah, straight up, man. Go stand in the corner, man. And, Just to put on uh, my conehead hat, my sagittal <laughs> crest, so that I resemble a sasquatch from the south. Just uncool. <laughs> Leslie Kane coming on. So breaking news. Psych. What? You can't do that. Man. Heart. Drop. Okay, so let's let's get into our first article. And Jimmy and I have mentioned the Utsurubune time and time again on Mysteries of the History. But now in Japan, I'm showing my screen here, there is an exhibition that had just opened with new information that has just come out about the Utsurubune. Um, which is probably one of the most famous stories when it comes to Japan of a UFO encounter and micah take it away so what's so significant about this article well <clears throat> i didn't get the show notes ladies and gents so i'm just gonna have to wing this completely we'll see how it goes basically You're just joke after joke today she, she thinks yeah. i'm kidding about that one oops <laughs> this uh you know being a, a a alleged historical ufo case i say alleged for a couple of reasons because we have to be very careful with how we interpret ancient accounts through the modern lens of technology and our expectations about the space age. But the general story is that this disc-like object, this sort of a capsule washes onto a beach. And this, of course, in the historical period of Japan. And the claim was that it actually contained, I believe, a being, a, a woman who I think resided within this or who had been traveling in it. Now, modern UFO scholars look at the imagery, and we see that on the screen right there, and they liken the craft, I guess, the Utsurobune, would that be the correct pronunciation? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They liken this to a flying saucer. But again, the thing was never, to my knowledge, according to the legend scene, flying, I think it only washed ashore. Yeah, it floated, it floated ashore. Yeah. 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 And so, you know, there have been speculations about whether it had been, again, some sort of a sailing vessel of an un, you know, unusual provenance, if it was some sort of a, a coffin. I mean, who knows? It really has. It bears all the characteristics of mythology. Now, there is something about the story to me that has always kind of rung true, like there may have been true events that occurred that were the basis for this story. Had this woman been a refugee from a ship, a shipwreck of some kind, a ship that had gone down and she was just trapped in some sort of a vessel that was left drifting? Who knows? I don't think she spoke the local language either. And so this story has gone down in history, but both for being truly strange in the historical sense, even apart from ufology, but because of the notable similarities. And again, if you look at the imagery, yes, it does look very UFO-like in our modern parlance. But I always caution about that because... It's easy for us to look at this and say, yeah, sure, that was a UFO from back in the, 
you know, what, what, what was the actual year that it, that the uh, incident allegedly occurred? I'm trying to look at the notes In here. 1803. Yeah, 1803. So we got a very early 19th century account, February 2nd, 22nd, 1803. Uh, it looks UFO-like, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's the same thing as a flying saucer as we would recognize today. But that, in a nutshell, uh, is the story. Well, okay, but you're leaving out all the cool stuff. <laughs> that was that was the Micah Hanks skeptical journey uh, to to this. Um, you're leaving out uh, the most notable parts. And and first off, well, Jimmy, but see, that was your cue. You were supposed to take it right there, and you were supposed to give us all that. I'd rather step on you. No, okay, that's fine. He's that's going fine. to anyway, folks. Go ahead. Is, Thomas, is thank you so much for the uh, super chat. Yeah. Thank you, Thomas. Um, is this? Um, the uh, legend behind the Japanese people is that they came from the stars, extraterrestrials. That, it starts there. So when you go into the deep history, that is their origin story. Their progenitor, like that, Micah, uh, go to your thesaurus. Progenitor, uh, I believe. Uh, <laughs> is E.T., that's number one. Number two, this craft had a redheaded woman in it that they felt that they needed to rescue, right? That she, they were saving her. They took her back to the village. She didn't speak Japanese. They didn't understand what she was speaking. And as a matter of fact, they kind of got a little bit freaked out about it and later put her back on the craft and pushed it back out to sea. Um, there are. There's never been any reports of this of coming from the skies or flying away. No, it floated away. Um, so there's that. Number two, the interior of this was written in a, in 1800, by the way, um, uh, in, in a language uh, that they didn't understand. Uh, that was strange. Number four is the windows of the craft were not glass. They were of a mineral or a crystal and were perfectly transparent. And that was a very unusual description of, of something uh, from the 1800s, uh, uh, late 1700s, like you said, uh, early 19th century. Third, there was metal over the windows to protect it. Um, and that was strange. The bottom of the craft, and it, we all know about uh, metal plating uh, on ships, but that didn't happen until uh, around the Confederate War um, when metal plating uh, started to be applied to the outside of ships. This was metal plated on the bottom half, and which was another strange description to pop up so early on. Um, the top half of the craft, they said, looked like rosewood or was rosewood colored. So when you combine all of these aspects of this, what is it, this, this ship, this craft, whatever you want to call it, this boat um, that was floating, what was it and where did it come from? There aren't any descriptions of anything like this anywhere in the world at this time. So that's these things uh, are all very strange, and of course, uh, a foreign um, uh, woman with red hair speaking a language that they didn't understand. Where if, if did it come from the United States? Did it come from Polynesia? Right? Did it come from Australia? Did it come from where? Did it come from to roll up 
into Japan um, without a motor, without sales or anything like that on it. And I'm not saying ET. I'm saying that there are aspects to this story that are very, very unique, and you can't relate it to anywhere else uh, historically in the world. That's why I find uh, find it so compelling. I don't know. Oh, there are maybe some tangent connections, though, Jimmy, and I think you'd probably agree. Uh, you know, we also had later in the 19th century the airships that first, of course, are seen over the West Coast, but then there was a subsequent wave that occurred about 10 years later over Britain. There was also an Australian airship wave. There are long traditions about unusual phenomena that occur in various parts of the world that seem to, and this is really interesting to me, rather than being something that's an extremely advanced technology like what we would recognize as modern UFOs. They were advanced technologies for the time period. We might extend that to this object or to the airships from the 19th century. If there are true accounts that are to be believed from that era where people saw technologies that wasn't supposed to exist at that time, and it was believed that a precocious inventor might have been behind something like that, it does cast... Uh, stories like this in an interesting light, given that it seems to be suggestive of the idea that there is somebody or that there have been groups of people at times throughout history who maybe were on the cutting edge right. and several steps ahead of the rest of us, i.e. Yeah. essentially the idea of sort of a breakaway civilization or at very least a leading technological development that occurs outside of what the history books know, whether that's aviation or maybe in this case, sailing vessels. So that's interesting stuff too, Jimmy. And, and although you're right, there isn't anything quite so similar to that case in terms of the specifics of the details. That idea of precocious inventions occurring throughout history is something that really fascinates me. So let's go on the record right now. Micah Hanks just said she came from Atlantis. Oh, okay. Right. okay. Yep, I did. Okay. Yeah, yeah, there you go, Micah. Hanks. I said it. It was Atlantis. It was Atlantis, the Japanese culture. My uh, Michael, right. thank you so much. It says gift card donation. So now we're at $60. If you put hashtag roundtable, you wow. will have the chance to win a, either an Amazon gift card or a Starbucks gift card, whatever you prefer. And he says, I oh, wish Jash I could. Jash he just came Thank in. you so much, Michael. <laughs> I do appreciate it. Okay, this is this is getting heated now. Uh, Jazz, thank you so much. It says the foreign redheaded woman was probably my ex-wife. Don't believe anything she says and wooden spaceships probably wouldn't do well in the vacuum of space. Now, and here's, um, uh, we've got to move on. We've got so much to do. Um, and uh, I'm just going to let everybody know I have to jump uh, a little early today. Um, so I want to get everything in. Uh, Mike, I've got to go. There's a job opening over at the debrief. Uh, Tim McMillan just texted me. Ah. <laughs> so, um, I'm <laughs> well, I'm sad job to hear opening, he's going. Huh? Yeah, yeah, there's a job opening. So, uh, but uh, we could stay. We have covered this case so many times, Mike. I'm fascinated with it. Um, if, if uh, I'm, I'm going to make one more comment, you're right about he's the airships. Right. But what immediately after that, now see when the airships thing was uh, taking off, we did have balloons in France, right? Okay. Oh, that, yeah. that was happening at the same time, but for sure airships, no Jules Verne, uh, some different books that had come out around the world in 80, you know, all that. Um, some things were out there and we were putting the ideas in people's heads, but this was a hundred years before that the airships, you know, five years after that, we had the Wright brothers at, at Kitty Hawk, right, in 1903. So there is a timeline there that I totally agree with you, right, that things were at the cutting edge and people were imagining things. 
But in 1803, corkscrews on, on ships, no, that hadn't happened yet. Any kind of alternative power outside of a sail or an oar hadn't happened yet. And this had nothing on it. This was like a floating bowl, right? It, 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 how was how it getting around? That's um, and, and we don't know if there was another propulsion system under it because nobody checked for that. Well, they may not have recognized it as such. If they would have seen it. Correct, which is my point. And and the last thing I want to say before we move on, because we've got some really cool news uh, today, is they just pushed her back out to sea. Right. Yeah, they put her back on the boat. They didn't <laughs> save her life. They thought they wanted, they freaked her out so much, right? <laughs> it's, like, it's like the Salem witch trials or something, right? She's a witch. Right, put her back in the boat. She's made of wood. <laughs> Does she float? Does she float? Let's find out. And 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 push her back out to sea. So I, I, I find that part of it uh very compelling. And to have an exhibit uh in Japan about this just says that uh to me, this is a part of their culture and their history. Yeah, so much so that it seems to have happened again in recent days. But I'm bump. He's going to be here all week. Try the veal. Try Christina, the... try hitting your mute button also. We can't hear you where, right now. Where did that Real. joke come from, try the veal? What? Where That's is that like from? like Henny, Henny Youngman. That's like the Catskills. <laughs> yeah, well, it seems like today Micah is just filled with jokes. But um, <laughs> what I wanted to say was that for this for this attraction it's up and running until march so if you're living in japan and if you're in the area and you want to see the exhibition go and check it out because it is a very unique one there's never been one that's opened like this one before and it's not going to be up for very long what's very interesting about this particular um, article is that the person that has done a lot of research about utsurubune and created this exhibition stated that we're not here to tell you if it's a ufo or not you can make up your own mind on what you think it is um but it's all about keeping one an open mind but two looking at the information that is provided as well here is one of the images that is in the museum which i think is really cool as yeah. jimmy had mentioned it is a red-headed woman, which at this time in Japan was incredibly rare, and holding a box. And there's a lot of rumors on what is inside of the box. Some think it's the head of a dead lover. It could be some type of secret. But what's important to note is that while this took place in 1803, stories didn't come out about it until 1825. So that's a decent amount of years for someone to embellish the story. Yeah, the, it, it's Jazz Shaw's head in that box. That's, that's <laughs> poor Jazz. That's poor Jazz. Poor Jazz. What was that movie called? Uh, Bring me the head of something Garcia from the seventies. I love that movie. So All much right. that you forgot the name. Man. Right. So does it even count? So, so far we have 53 entries for those to win a $60 gift card. Um, if you want to place yourself to win, put in hashtag round table in the live chat and we will do the draw at the very end of the show. Okay. Moving on to our next article. While we're kind of on the topic of Japan, Micah, you actually wrote an article for the debrief about a metal sphere found on Japanese beach, which kind of 
prompts people thinking at first it was a UFO, but we later found out otherwise. But kind of give us the rundown about this particular article that you wrote about. Well, essentially this, and this had been a big story in the news, but basically what had happened was uh, this object washed ashore. Uh, a lot of people have been tweeting about it. Our very own Tim McMillan had tweeted. And at that time, because the object had not been identified, there were bomb squads that were brought in to try and evaluate whether this thing might have actually been an explosive left over from the Second World War um, or something along those lines. Now, X-ray analysis of this object, yes, they actually did this determined that it's hollow and that this was not explosive. Uh, and so after the main news cycle had jumped all over this and done their speculation and everything, of course, I picked up the pieces thereafter and we reported at the debrief what it now actually is believed to have been. And if you look in that image right there, you can actually see that the individual on the left who has their hand extended, there's a small ring essentially that you can see right there. This is probably the area where this buoy, and that's probably what this is, this is a mooring buoy, uh, would have been attached. These are placed out at sea so that essentially in order to protect um, uh, coastlines and things, you can use one of these to attach sailing vessels to that keeps them out a little further in the water. Sometimes they're also used just as a general mooring point further out at sea, but I got to be honest with you. As with any good mystery, two things came to mind when this story broke. Uh, one had been the very story we were just talking about in the Japanese tradition and, and traditional beliefs involving strange objects washing ashore. So that was one thing. But I'm sorry, Christina, did you want to jump in? No, I'm saying, uh, so Miss Fire Jack, thank you so much for the $5. That is to add to the uh, gift card as well. So now we're at 65 So thank you so much for supporting that and making someone's day. Yeah, thank you very much to all the donations we've been receiving here tonight, including Jimmy's. But the other thing, of course, that came to mind, though, with, with you know, this strange round object floating ashore onto a Japanese beach had been all these recent uh, incidents involving, quote unquote, unidentified objects being shot down. Now, none were shot down that we know of over Japanese airspace. But a little known fact was that while the U.S. was apparently going on a frenzy shooting down objects over North American airspace, and I want Jimmy's impression on this, yours too, Christina, uh, I'm sure we'll get to that, not to not to move too quickly, of course, but eventually I want you guys to weigh in on that. But there was also a sighting of a strange object that was seen over the coast of uh, northern China, uh, as I understand, uh, over Chinese uh, oceans. So, and then fishermen were even warned about this because they said that they may shoot this thing down. <laughs> so it seems that there have actually been quite a lot of incidents involving the purported shoot down or near shoot down of strange objects. And there were a lot of people who in recent news seeing this, they saw this object wash ashore in Japan and said, was this something that was shot down? What is it? But I hate to be the bearer of, uh, I guess, more conventional opinions, but yeah, it's a mooring buoy. So, but this this shows how jumpy everyone is about spheres oh, yeah. right now, right? Balloons, spheres, UFOs. It's quite a news cycle happening right now. Yeah. And a lot of people and a lot of people that were seeing this on the beach, they immediately had these rather fantastical theories. I mean, one of them being a Godzilla egg. That's what it was called when it was yeah, first seen. That. I laughed out loud with that. That one, one is so funny. Or like what people could think about when they consider the um, anime Dragon Ball Z as well. 
people were thinking it has to be a UFO. Maybe it's a bomb of some kind as well. Oh, here, but huh? then later the information came out as Micah had mentioned that it's just a Bowie. And XR, thank you so much for the super sticker and supporting the channel. But Jimmy, what did you want to add to that? It, it, it is here's the media now recognizes that UFO is excellent clickbait. Right. Oh yeah. At the, I think that anybody looking at that knew a it's man-made. Number one. Number two. They never saw the episode of Gilligan's Island when that thing floated into the lagoon. I've also never seen it. Okay, Michael's <laughs> laughing because that's one of the best episodes ever. Number, it's number two. Number three. It just looked like a Bowie. You could yeah. see the hooks, the the loops on the side. Uh, it, but. That's not clickbait. Bowie, you know, a buoy uh, washes ashore in Japan. That's not news. Strange object washes ashore as the United States shoots down another object today. That's clickbait. And and they 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 ran with it as long as they could. If you look at any of the social media um, on that, and ninety nine percent of the comments were, "It's a come on, man." It's a boy. The the other one percent were really funny jokes. Yeah. <laughs> nobody, no, I didn't see anybody go. I wonder, you know, that's Zeta Reticuli, man. You know, I'm I'm, I'm feeling no, no, that that was never there. It was clickbait, and uh, and the timing, you know, and hey, you know, good on them, I guess. <laughs> well, <laughs> because- again, you know, here's the thing. I remember talking with a journalist a few years ago about the whole clickbait phenomena, and and. Although I was being critical of that, um, and some would actually say us publishing that story is getting in on that same cycle, you know, getting in on a hot story. Uh, I've always kind of taken an attitude myself as a publisher that you let the story when it breaks, let everybody froth at the mouth and get it out there, and then bring analysis the second day and actually explain what it is, which is, of course, what I attempted to do in that instance. Uh, when these shootdowns were occurring, we were always very careful at the debrief in terms of how we were wording it. Um, we had said balloons as early as Sunday that weekend that this was all going down. But then to our surprise, the White House comes out and says Monday, well, we're still calling them objects. And in fact, even now, with them being suspected balloons, maybe hobbyist balloons, the White House is still saying they're objects. So, to your point, Jimmy, in the news cycle with all this discussion about mystery objects, yeah, everybody was looking at this and they're saying, well, we can call that a mystery object. It's one with a very clearly discernible prosaic explanation. And like you said, a lot of people online knew immediately what it was, but it still generated that talk. And that says a lot about kind of where we are right now. The stranger thing isn't so much that the media does that. It is that in the official wording used by the White House, we see similar language, similar verbiage that is conducive to speculation, which is generally the opposite of what officials want to have happen, which tells me that there is a purpose for why they're using that language. Clickbait. It's an election cycle. I don't know, but here's the thing. It's all about grabbing people's attention at the end of the day. People, People want the clicks. They want the money, not necessarily a truthful story. Wood, uh, Waitsworth, thank you so much. And Aaron as well. Thank you for the content. Love your podcast, Micah. If you are enjoying Jimmy and Micah, all of their social media links are in the description box below where they also are for Jimmy and for Micah. They have their own show and they do amazing content that you can find in the description box below. 
Okay, so what I was going to say, but Christina, um, keeping stuff in the public works for elected officials and the Department of Defense and the military machine. It just does, no matter how you're keeping it out there and keeping the conversation going, which is what they're doing uh, with these balloons. And, Micah, I'm going to give you guys props. Uh, uh, The debrief today, and I've been watching Tim and you and your comments. Uh, uh, McMillan uh, reached out uh, to – let me back up. I had said when everything I had I had Dolan on the show last week, Micah, right? And uh, and the one point that I kept driving home to Richard, if it's not ET, right? And the government is trying to say this is private companies and and whatever and and their balloons, right? If that's if that's indeed what it is, you know they've got video and still images. Before they shot that stuff down, they they and they've got all the sense, they've got all of that. So if that's what it was, where are the images? There is nothing. You're not giving away any government information by showing a balloon from New Mexico State University, right, or wherever wherever that thing was flown from, right? Okay, so where are the images? Okay, so now fast forward to today, Tim McMillan uh, doing. Uh, what he does best is, uh, you know, uh, uh, poking an eye, a stick in the eye of the bear and, and trying to get answers on this and saying, hey, 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 if it's just what you say it is, where are the images? And apparently, Micah, the DOD did respond uh, to Tim and say, you know, the public's ass out. We're, we're, we're not going to release anything. I'm sorry. I just used a bad word. Public's not getting anything. Um, no, we're not going to release any images. And my my question is, why? What's the reason for that? Shouldn't you let the public know what is going on? Or does this add to the mystery and go back to the clickbait that we've been talking about? Well, that's a good question. I'll, I'll say it's obviously been a very dynamic situation. I mean, the weekend that this all dropped, initially, the mainstream was all over this story, and I wasn't even sure that it was something that the debrief wanted to report on for one simple reason, because it was obvious to me that it had turned into clickbait. But again, what we always try to do is say, okay, well, everybody else is putting like 400-word snippets up just, again, by the moment. They're, they're, they're rife with typos and things, and so we're like, let's put long-form, in-depth reporting about everything we have learned. Let's reach out to NORAD. Let's reach out to the DOD. Let's reach out to everybody that we can. We're speaking with duty officers. We're speaking with on-duty personnel at various air bases. We're speaking with locals in towns where these things have happened. We're trying to get as much information as possible. And we put out three articles, I think, between Friday evening and Monday dealing with this that were longer and I think in some ways, in many ways, more substantive than most of what we saw elsewhere in the media, if I do say so for myself. And the thing is, is that this has been a long going uh, building process. And initially, the questions we had, probably the first one, and Jimmy, I'll ask you, at what point ever in the history of the United States do we shoot first and ask questions later? We don't identify any object. We just shoot it down and hope for the best. I mean, that that's not that never sounds like it's a good idea, especially when we're dealing with objects in U.S. airspace. And that having been something that's never happened in the history of this country. It happened. You ready for this? It happened down the street from my home. In the 1960s, Lockheed Martin was 
uh, test flying pilotless drone aircraft, okay, radio controlled. And one went astray hmm. over my city. So they launched an aircraft and shot it down with an air to air missile yeah. over the city of Palmdale. Look it up. And oh, it, I don't doubt it. it. No, no. It's crazy. Now, but see, here's the thing with that. Um, with these balloons, what what did you just say? Shoot first, ask questions later, right? Okay. Well, yeah, that shouldn't uh, right. be U.S. policy. And I'll also just briefly point out the incident you're talking about over California did not involve Northern Aerospace Defense Command either. No, right? that's, but that's oh. my point. That's my point. So here it is. No, we've got to wait till it's safe. It's not over a populated area. We're going to let this cruise across the United States. We're going to shoot it when it gets to the Atlantic Ocean, you know, and, and we, we don't want to endanger the pub. But apparently in 1965, <laughs> they didn't give a crap and they're shooting something right over my house that could have fell on the city of Palmdale. And they could have let that thing keep flying out over the Pacific Ocean and run out of gas. Right, whatever. I don't know, but no, they they literally shut that down over my city, and uh, and Palmdale's this big, by the way. So if you're shooting down something over Palmdale, it's, it's, a, it's yeah, it's a very small area, a lot of desert out there. They could have shot it down over. Look it up. It's a crazy case, and that is a situation where they didn't care about uh, the people on the ground. And this was a drone. This is made of metal, right? That's that's. Okay, so anyway, um, but uh, back to this point, the the analysis, I think, probably came back pretty quick. You've got U-2s flying around these things. You've got helicopters flying around these things. You've got images. You've got uh, ground observation going on, as well as uh, airplanes and aircraft and things flying around all of these objects and uh, collecting uh, data, sensor data, and, of course, imagery and video. Um, and, and running FLIR, right? You know, they're running infrared. They're seeing, you know, it's hot, you know, what's going on. Um, they were doing all of that. And they probably knew pretty quickly out of the gate what was actually going on, right? And to, to have this delay out this long, um, there's one curious point. One. Just one. Just one. Are you ready? Are you ready? Hit me. Nobody has claimed the balloons. Well, no companies have said that was ours. And this is what it looked like. No university has stepped up. The National Weather Service, the NSW, right? <laughs> they haven't stepped forward. It was one of ours. Nobody has claimed the balloons. Isn't that strange? So are, are we dealing with, um, I, I don't want to say the two, the, the two, uh, the double F, right? False flag. I don't know. Um, they're in areas where they, except for the Chinese balloon, um, not a whole lot of civilian eyes on this, right? There is no eyewitness testimony uh, to do this. We only have the military version of this story. We've got no images. They say that they've shot these down. The, they've given up their search efforts. They will never find the debris. We don't have imaging, and no companies have stepped forward. It's just 
stinks. Okay, really quickly, because I do know we have a lot of stuff to cover in very limited time, especially in your case, Jimmy. One company has come forward. Now, this hasn't been conclusively proven, but I believe what's known as the Northern Illinois Bottle Cap Balloon Brigade did say that they have a balloon missing in action that went missing somewhere over Alaska. Imagine that. Now, there have been other hobbyist groups who have also claimed that they suspect the balloons, specifically the one shot down over Canada, was probably one of theirs, and that these are effectively hobbyist balloons. Some have used the expression Pico balloon. That actually had been verbiage that first came out, to my knowledge, in the audio of one of the fighter pilots involved in the intercept over Lake Huron. He'd even said it kind of looks like a Pico balloon, but he, if you recall, guys, he goes back and forth and says, I'm not going to call it a balloon. I'm going to call it a balloon. He was attempting, struggling to find the best way to describe what he was seeing there. Um, in terms of the detection of, of you know, things from these objects, let's just say, first of all, of course, that first spy balloon that was without question a spy balloon was operating at about 60,000 feet. Now, that's the one that they sent uh, U-2 spy planes up to look at. The reason being essentially this, and a real quick lesson about altitude and aircraft, about 35,000 thousand feet, but maybe as much as 40,000 feet, that's going to be the general area where conventional commercial aircraft are going to be operating. Uh, most high atmospheric balloons, weather balloons and things like that are going to be operating in the 90,000 to maybe 110,000. Now, certain military fighter jets can go higher than 40,000, maybe up to about 60,000 feet, like the balloon that was operating over the United States, the original uh, balloon with the very large dangling uh, payload, the solar arrays and everything that was shot down off the coast of South Carolina. That one was at 60,000 feet. And fighter jets, of course, were able to intercept it. But they sent U-2s up that could fly to that altitude and actually photograph the thing. And we've now seen the infamous selfie that was collected. Um, those U-2s can also go higher than that. They can go all the way up to 90,000 feet because those sky planes are equipped for that kind of high altitude uh, operation. But those pilots have to be uh, fitted, of course, with breathing equipment so that they can get oxygen at that altitude. Otherwise, they would suffer hypoxia and fall from the sky. So, uh, So the point is... That balloon, the first one that was shot down, was up there at 60,000 feet where no commercial airliners are going to be operating. But it's been implied that that might have been an accident. Tim McMillan actually raised an interesting point to, to us, to the team, when that first uh, happened. He reached out to some weather experts who had said they're not so sure that balloon was intended to be at that low an altitude. It might have been that it was happenstance due to weather and other conditions in the atmosphere at that time that caused it to be at a much lower altitude, made it more visible. Keep in mind, it first came to the attention of commercial passengers on a commercial aircraft, and then the Wall Street Journal reported that. But I don't think that China intended for us to spot that balloon, let alone spot it as quickly as, as we did, and that happened because of the altitude it was uh, at. But as far as the other objects... Those other objects were operating at only about 40,000 feet, so they were well within the area in terms of where commercial aircraft will operate, and therefore President Biden said they were a potential threat to commercial uh, commercial aviation. Uh, those aircraft, it wouldn't have been necessary to send U-2s to go up and look at those. Those were mostly fighter jets, but they, of course, had sensory capabilities, infrared, like you mentioned, Jimmy. And this is an interesting thing, too. According to the article, Tim's been sitting on this for days, but we've been talking for several days now about... Sources who have said in recent days that they had gotten the impression that there were signals being detected from some of those objects. That had been reported in the New York Times. You guys may remember that some yep. of the the pilots had said that the objects were messing with their sensors. You remember that? I did. Yes. Yeah. So, so what we did was we reached out to the DOD. We reached out to NORAD. We did get responses, but they said we're not going to comment on that. But we asked them explicitly, look, uh, were you guys detecting sensors? 
were there RF frequencies coming from these objects? They won't confirm that. But if so, rather than being drones or something truly anomalous, that actually sounds more like the hobbyist balloon speculation. So if I had to put my money down right now, Jimmy, obviously I'd put it behind Christina and this effort tonight. I realize I've got to kick in. How much money do I have to kick in now to raise Jimmy five? But well, if money on the balloons, that's all I'm saying. 60 if, you're, if, if you're enjoying the show so far, please give it a thumbs up. And just a reminder, put in hashtag roundtable in the live chat to win a $65 gift card, either for Amazon or for Starbucks. And we'll do the draw at the very end of the show. So put hashtag roundtable in the live chat for a chance to win. So far, we have 75 entries. We have 314 people watching. Look, if you really want to win, just put in hashtag roundtable table so we have a lot more articles to cover um one of them while we're kind of in the topic of space you can you can view this in one of two ways either incredibly exciting or very morbid because it seems like there are multiple presidents that have passed on are still somehow going to get to space yeah pieces uh, of their hair and other formats of dna including me i'm sending i'm sending uh toenail clippings uh, to space, I've sent in uh, my sample. So, me and George Washington, we got something in common. Thank you for that visual aid there. But with this Enterprise flight, it's it is the latest in a series of memorial missions by U.S. based company, which enables the cremated remains of deceased individuals to be launched into the final frontier. And once again, you can see this is either wow, this is so amazing or just flat out creepy. I mean, these people have passed already. Are they going to enjoy space the way that we would if we're alive? So when I came across this, I was thinking I have to ask Jimmy and Micah their thoughts on this. And let's say you were uh, to pass and be cremated. Would you like your remains to be in the middle of nowhere in the vacuum of space? Or would you prefer it to be in a vase or maybe in the ocean? No, uh, blast me to space. I, there's no reason to take up room on this planet. In fact, I say dig up all coffins. <laughs> dig them put all. Put them all up. in space. Put them, but let's let's put that thing on Starship 1, Elon Musk and and that's valuable real estate. You know, it's all about it's all about location, location, location. <laughs> <laughs> and those those uh uh okay, anyway, anyway, anyway. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, I would I would I would I would do that. Um I there's there's just no reason uh to to, to you know take up space on this planet. No, go 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 to the stars and really become stardust. Well, yeah. for, for more than 25 years, Celeste has been gathering up batches of cremated human remains, DNA samples, hair strands, and other mementos to be sent into space aboard uh, and orbital rockets as well. So one mission even went to the moon, which is kind of interesting. But overall, this is such a weird and... Um, I'd rather say a unique article before we move on, because this is a very short article. Micah, I would like to hear your thoughts on this. If given the opportunity and if you were cremated, would you want to go to space? Well, you know, I think probably just because I realize even at the rate at which our uh, technology is progressing and space travel is becoming more and more frequent, it's probably unlikely in my lifetime that I'm going to be able to go and truly visit, I mean, interstellar space, go far out. 
And, and right now, even with our best capabilities, the nearest we can get off planet is the moon in terms of sending humans out there. We hope, of course, within the next few decades to put a few people up there on Mars, get boots on the ground on the red planet, so to speak. But so realizing how unlikely it is that in my lifetime, I'll really get to see space. Yeah, why not? Uh, if not in this lifetime, maybe in the ever after, go ahead and explore the final frontier. Sure. But now there's always the economics of the situation, like Jimmy's saying, you know, I mean, um, a lot of valuable real estate taken up down here on Earth. But then again, a lot, a lot. Right. In the forest lawn in Hollywood, right? The, oh, forest right. Lawn, yeah. the most primest real estate in L.A., mm-hmm. you know, thousands of acres. I have no idea. And uh you just know there's some uh, Paramount Studios or uh, uh, Warner Brothers across the street, you know, and you know there's some studio head looking out of his office wondering, man, I could build the nicest house yeah. right there, but I can't. Um, can we jump in before I, I, I get out of here? Can we jump to to the next story? It, it, it's all um, it's about balloons and space, and and it could be a little bit morose, too, as well. And well, so- the one that I actually wanted to cover with you here is the one about California UFOs, since you are in California. <sighs> There's uh. UFOs in California? Jimmy, I've never known you to be somebody who liked to talk about UFOs. <laughs> and uh, Severshot, thank you so much. It says, add to the gift card, please. So let's, now we're from 65 to $85. Who's One person is going to win eighty an $85 gift Who's card. Who's going to throw in 15 more bucks, Micah? You guys got to show me how you do that, by Down the way. Down at the bottom, there's a little dollar bill. You click on the dollar bill. Yeah, see, I'm on the back end here. I've got to, I've got to. Oh, like, no, you got to go to YouTube to do yeah, it. Yeah, that's the thing. I got to get in YouTube. Well, to do everyone it. here that is watching this, that is donating and saying it is for the gift card, you're going to make someone's day today. So all of you guys are amazing. And if you are watching this on a replay and you want to jump in and be a part of the giveaway, make sure to come in every single Friday at 3 p.m. p.m for the live show because we're going to be doing more of these giveaways but jimmy because you wanted to cover this next article about a balloon and because you only have 10 minutes left we'll we'll let you do that so tell us give us the rundown on this article because it all is pretty right, cool. all right hey 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 micah yep. i'm just gonna let you know the vig the vig is 15 dollars a week i'm just telling you now the vig is $15 a week. Marty just made it 100 and Micah, no, Jimmy also made it an extra 15. So now we're looking at 100 and this is a long get over there. I'm trying to get over there. I'm still trying to figure this out. Yeah, <laughs> you you sure. guys are amazing I'll everyone. Pay next church. Don't worry, this. man. Cocktails are on me next time, bro. How's that? <laughs> is um here's the thing. Um uh, if you want to jump to the, let me, let me pull the story up really quick so I can get my facts straight um, on this, because that balloon ride, I'm looking at the clock here, everybody. Um, I've got a job interview, um, uh, with Tim McMillan in uh, five minutes. So I, I can't be, I can't be it's best to be, uh, Micah, you know, this, uh, with Tim to be early. You want to be 15 minutes early, uh, to your Well, job. but see when I'm 15 minutes early, he's 20 minutes late. And so. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So um, once again, uh, California is is number one, and um, I think I think I think it, I think this number 
which is is correct and the amount of people per you know 100,000 that that are, here's the thing Californians uh the people out here I, I I generally are looking up more that's number 1 two we have Vandenberg and we have Edwards and we have uh the Mojave Spaceport and we've got things that are happening all the time out here when it comes to uh, and all of the Air Force bases and everything else. So we've got a lot of activity going on. There's also a lot of uh, commercial flights that are coming in and out. Um, there are certain parts of California. I'm not talking about the phenomena itself, but there are certain parts of California that have like zero light pollution. And it's a fun place to just go and tip your head up and, and just look at the stars. And you're going to see something. There's that. And then we have the other part where we have genuine hot spots out here where there is stuff going on and and people go out there they look and they also report it probably the fifth thing down on this list is people take the time more so than any other state to report a sighting sightings go on all the time and and go unreported you know and it's the same skies it's the same stars the same milky way above us uh, that is uh, all over the world and all over the United States. We're seeing the exact same night sky. Um, I, I don't think that there is necessarily a, a more activity going on in California, uh, aside from the experimental stuff and the rocket launches. But uh, we just have people that are looking up and then take the time to report. Um, when you go into a state like Montana, Wyoming, Idaho, the Dakotas, uh, places like that, there are just less people there. That's it. And so uh, with a much, much, much smaller population, how many of them are outside at night? And the number shrinks. How many are outside at night and looking up? How many are outside at night looking up and see something? How many are outside looking up and see something and then turn around and report it? So the number just shrinks, 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 shrinks. Um, but yes, California is, is number uh, one. Um, Washington State has always been very high on this list. Uh, so is Oregon. Um, Nevada, not so much. Uh, I think Vermont is traditionally uh, with its ratio, right, with, you know, a population versus uh, UFO sightings is always um, up at the top. Uh, and it is the one of the least populated states the in the United States, states but yeah. with the most second houses. So all the rich people have a second house in Vermont. It's a pretty place, so I've been told. With night vision. It has that's to. Yeah, with, with night vision. I expect nothing less. <laughs> yeah, that's what I hear. But, uh, yeah, I... Um, uh, when we have uh, a situation like with Chris Bledsoe, where he's not in Southern California, he's not in California, he's not in, he's not in Vermont, right? He's in uh, South Carolina with uh, uh, crazy stuff going on. He's North Carolina, isn't he? Uh, he's in North Carolina. What are the Carolinas? Yeah. It doesn't matter. Are you <laughs> one of those Carolinas? Are, are you stepping on me again, Micah? Step no, 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 sorry, sorry, little James, little yeah. Master James, Master James. But but certainly we all understand the point that I'm making, right? So you have. Uh, Bledsoe uh, in in an area that uh, typically historically doesn't have a whole lot of this. Um, in the area, you've got, of course, the Brown Mountain Lights, and where, uh, uh, of course, Micah has done a lot of research there. Um, and is that part of the phenomenon too as well? Um, there are uh, hot spots throughout the United States, and 
uh, California is is part of that. And uh, there's my, I got to jump ship. Okay, guys, uh, love you. Love everybody. Micah, you're the best. Everybody in the chat room, rock this thing up to 115 bucks. Thank you for doing that, Micah. Uh, you're a man of honor. You're a man of honor. Christine, Absolutely. Christina, behave and be well. All right. And what is today? Today's Friday. I've got to go shovel my driveway after I get my new job. Okay, yeah, for so that one centimeter of snow. But good luck in that job interview for the debrief, okay? I'll talk to you guys. You're Bye. one of the very best. Thanks, Jimmy. Keep up everything you do, okay? Can I, can I get a letter of recommendation from you, Micah? I'll think about it. I'll talk to you guys. Bye, guys. No, bye, Jimmy. No, we guys still got Micah. So um, I'm really happy that he actually covered the UFO sightings and like the UFO hotspots in California just because he's been there for so long. And he does really enjoy talking about California and UFOs. So when you put it in... In one topic, he could not be happier. So I'm really glad that he covered that. But the story that he did want to cover, but now that he has left to do so, is this balloon that will take you into space. And I was sharing that image a little bit earlier because I was kind of confused where Jimmy was going at first. But I'm going to share that image um, once again. Let me pull that up. But this... I've covered before here on Weekly Strange News, but uh, there because there are multiple countries that are doing this. It's not just in Japan, which which is what this article is about specifically, but there are other places across the globe that are attempting to create a balloon-like vessel to get people from Earth into space. So, Micah, when you came across this and knowing that this trip costs a little under $200,000. Let's say you had the funds for that. Would you go? Well, certainly. But now the image, that's not the right image, is it? That's the uh, Fushigi World Utsuro Bune exhibit, isn't it? No, this one is actually the little balloon that will take you into space right I'm, here. I'm just messing with you. But I mean, the point is, Don't do jokes doesn't it? I know, I know. I'm terrible. I'm terrible. But But you see what I'm saying, though? I mean, it's like a theme. And I figure actually that you plan that this week that, you know, here we have objects in history that have washed ashore in Japan. Here we have a spherical object that washed ashore in Japan this week that actually has been identified. But now here we have, although this is a balloon, many balloons having been shot down in recent days, this one's not coming down, it's going up. But does it not bear at least a passing resemblance to the mythical Utsurobune? You bring up an amazing point, Micah, because... I see what you're saying. And now with all this information about balloons, this launch of this new craft could not be at a better timing. This particular craft has been in development for the last 10 years. And now they just casually decided to make it public now. Is that genius? Yes, absolutely. And more people are getting on the marketing bandwagon with all this information of UFOs, balloons that are in the news. A good example of this, and I wasn't going to cover it, but I'm just going to touch on it. Kim Kardashian just released her new swimwear and in all of the images promoting her product, it was all about aliens that were in the background. Her models were aliens as well because even she was getting on this news craze about UFOs, about these balloons uh, type entities as we see, as we saw in the last UAP report. So 
you bring up a fantastic point on this and these images are really impressive they are a little bit scary with a small little opening and only two people can enter the craft which is uh either great or terrifying depends on who you are but overall i think it's going to be worth it at some point in time but right now a little under $200,000 is a lot just for, what, a two-hour trip? And Nils, thank you so much. Add it to the gift card. So now we're at $125. Make sure to put in hashtag roundtable in the live chat to win either an Amazon gift card or a Starbucks gift card. We will do the drawing at the end of the show, and you'll get to decide which one you want. So everyone that is dropping in and giving money to the gift card, you're going to make somebody's day. So thank you so much. But Micah, back to you. With this article that you read and the images that you're seeing, what do you think about it? Hold on. I read the article. Was I supposed to? I'm just kidding. No, let me, I'm going to totally spoil, spill all the beans here. Christina, she does tremendous amounts of show prep for each one of these. So much so that in addition to sending us each of the articles, she also sends us hand-produced synopses just to make sure that everything's easy and accessible. So we appreciate you, Christina. You're the best. You're a real pro. Uh, I would go if I had the opportunity to go and do this. Uh, and, and the interesting thing here is that uh, despite the fact that we're still, of course, in an era where we haven't got uh, you know plasma thrusters, I mean, those exist, but we haven't used those yet on propulsion mechanisms uh, fitted onto rockets, or well, I guess if it's got plasma thrusters, it's not a rocket per se, at least not a uh, you know rocket engine that uses chemicals like current ones do. But anyway, let's just say a spacecraft. Uh, we don't have spacecraft that are using these kinds of far-out propulsion yet to carry humans into space and to distant worlds. But we're looking at that. The kind of uh, plasma technology I'm talking about right now, we've reported about at the debrief in the past, a helicon thruster, is the idea. And it's only one of several. Uh, you know, Chris Plain, our, our, our science writer, is always talking about warp drives and warp drive-like technologies. I bring all that up to say that right here, even though it's still $200,000, that's the going rate, you could go at least to the boundary of space on a, essentially a balloon. I mean, and it just goes to show that if it ain't broke, don't fix it. There's an, a whole lot of money that goes into chemical propulsion with a rocket. And if you can achieve lift with a balloon and you can do it far less expensive, I mean, it just goes to show I'm sure people are going to be doing this more and more in the years to come. But you got to take into consideration that if you're going up and that's the way you're going to do it, you better plan and make sure that your plans to be up there and to stay up there and remain aloft for the period that you are supposed to and then to come back down safely are 100 percent effective. Because last thing I'd, I'd want is to be sitting on board that little bubble right there and then something go wrong. And I suddenly, in that great tradition of Newton's apple, what goes up must come down. But anyway, yeah, the old uh, using uh, lighter than aircraft to achieve lift obviously is still very much in vogue in the modern space age. It is. And this particular craft will take you to the stratosphere, which is the second layer of the atmosphere, and it will remain at its maximum altitude of 15 miles or about 25 kilometers for one hour before returning back to Earth in a two hour descent. So you're going to be in space for about three hours and just imagine the view. Now, at first, we thought that only these really big 
um, privately owned rockets could do that, like Blue Origin. We had seen that before or SpaceX. But now we're seeing even smaller craft that can take people up for a fraction of the cost, which is still, you know, crazy, a crazy amount of money. But and obviously a little bit lower than what these rockets can take you to. But it's still giving you that opportunity to see the beauty of the planet from a from an from a perspective that only a handful can see and we've heard time and time again by people that are have gone to the international space station or those that have been aboard the um blue origin how eerie and how also incredible it is to see your planet and also when you think about all of your problems just like a little speck of dust when you're able to look at the bigger picture literally yeah, you're seeing a whole different perspective on things. We got a glimpse of that the other day with the U-2 pilots. It actually, my understanding was it wasn't the principal pilot, but it was the person in the seat next to them. And, of course, I know there are going to be some aviation aficionados out there who are going to say, wait, thanks, the U-2 is a single-seat air aircraft. But um, there are five, at least, U-2 training aircraft, uh, which are actually a, a different kind of an aircraft. I think they're called the t U-2 something, um, and these are based in California. Those aircraft, of course, are used for training missions, and they do have two seats. The photo uh, that we saw the other day, you know the one I'm talking about, right, Christina, the selfie from the U-2 of the spy balloon? Yes. That, that photograph, actually, my understanding is uh, that the individual in the seat on the left was photographing a cross and getting the visor of the principal pilot in front of the window, taking that image of the spy balloon off the right wing of that U-2 that was one of those two-seat training models. So that's how that photograph was captured. It very well likely would never have occurred had there not been two individuals in that cockpit. But the reason I bring it up is because in that image, in addition to that spy balloon, as seen from above with a banking spy plane flying at a high altitude going around it, which I, again, a rough estimate here, we, if that balloon was operating at about 60,000 feet, we at least know that U-2 is at some altitude higher than that, but it's a little difficult to gauge how much higher. It looks like it might have just been, you know, a few yards, but keep in mind that spy balloon was extremely large, and as large as it was, given the size of it in that image, I would actually imagine the U-2 was a good distance away from it as it goes up above and banks, comes around, takes that photograph. What else do you see in the photo? There we go. Thank you so much. Although barely... With the limited perspective that this photo allows, you can see, of course, the curvature, presumably, of the Earth in the distance there as the surface of the Earth goes on off into the horizon. Uh, the uh, open source intelligence on this photograph uh, indicates that they believe, based on geolocation of terrain features on the ground, uh, that that balloon was probably somewhere over Missouri uh, probably around the area of Washington, Missouri, and that this would have been taken on February the 3rd. In fact, I think the DOD confirmed that the photo was taken on February 3rd. Um, but that, of course, is consistent with the fact that we don't see a whole lot of cloud coverage or anything like that. So in terms of meteorological conditions, uh, that's consistent with a known batch of sightings that occurred as the balloon passed over Missouri and people were able to see it with those clear weather conditions on February 3rd. So again, if you went up in this little bubble that you were showing us in the previous photo, you'd get a perspective similar to that. And a lot of people say that when you go up to that altitude and you see the curvature of the earth and you're able to, you know, be at that that almost holy silence at that altitude and experience that, it is very changing, especially for people who only get to go up and do it once. Uh, and think about um, 
the, of course, space explorer as seen on TV, William Shatner, Captain Kirk, when he went up on that Blue Origin rocket, if you recall, coming back down, everybody was celebrating and Shatner was kind of, he was, he was sort of out of sorts. He, he was obviously emotionally impacted by that. He was teary-eyed. Yeah. And then he went on to say and to speak at length about how that uh, experience impacted him. Uh, one more really quickly that just comes to mind is Dr. Edgar Mitchell, uh, who uh, I think he'd been the maybe the either the fifth or the seventh Apollo astronaut to walk on the surface of the moon. I actually spoke very briefly to uh, Dr. Mitchell at one point many years ago, uh, and uh, he talked about a similar experience going to the moon, essentially and realizing having this sort of mystical experience, leaving the planet, looking back on the earth and like Tom Hanks in that, in that, you know, scene, he's able to use the thumb and just cover the earth. And it's like, wow, all our problems down there on that mud ball get really small when you can cover the entire planet with your thumb. Dr. Mitchell described an experience very similar to that and said uh, that that was kind of what drove him to start studying more of the unexplained. And of course he became instrumental in the co-founding of the Institute for Noetic Sciences and all that. So yeah, personally, I'd love to go up and have that experience. What about you? Oh, without a doubt. I've given the opportunity. Don't even ask me twice. Yeah. I'm in. Yeah. I just gotta make sure to bring some snacks with me. I right. bring snacks at, with any trip I go on. There's two seats. So you put in a hundred thousand and I'll put in the other hundred thousand and we'll go. What do you say? <laughs> Let's do it. I'm in. I'll tell you and, what, I'll, since Jimmy's been paying for everything else tonight, I'll put in 125 and you just cover the other 75,000 and we're good to go. Okay. Sounds good to me. I'm yeah. going to just uh, share my screen here because once again, we are doing a giveaway. Put in hashtag roundtable. We have 112 entries. We have 319 people watching. This show is live. If you do want to win a gift card of $125, guys, for either Starbucks or Amazon, put in hashtag roundtable in the live chat. We got about what? 20 more minutes that gives you 20 minutes to put in that entry entry to win we got so far 112 entries and we still have a bunch of articles to cover micah um one of them being that i found kind of cool but you can also see it as kind of scary which could be the mentality for any type of science advancement it's this robot that can do all of your house chores I, I feel one of two ways. Either that's amazing and I get more time, right? But then also, like, what if at some point they're going to take over everything, right? You have that kind of mentality. So many household chores will be automated, according to a study led by the University of Oxford. Grocery shopping is, is the task predicted to be the largest reduction in human input, with 59% of the effort handed over to algorithms and robots. But here's my issue with that one. Micah, we know, you and I know, when we go grocery shopping, we still buy things that aren't on the list. Oh, yeah. We're like, oh, that one sounds kind of good. You know what? I'm going to make that for dinner tonight. And it's not on the list. See, robots, they, they can't think of doing something like that. But... It will also do things, as you can tell here, like ironing your clothes, washing the dishes. There are already robots that are helping with um, elderly care. It is going to be a little bit difficult with more of dealing with children and caring for them with robots. But we've we've spoken about this, and I've spoken about this a lot here on this channel regarding 
AI and robots. And people have one of one of two thoughts. Either this is amazing and like this is our future, but like a bright future. And the other half is thinking, now we're going downhill from here. It's going to be pretty darn scary because at some point, and I forgot, I forgot what celebrity made this quote or this uh, statement stating that if our cars were controlled by AI at any point in time, they could take you to the to the uh, to, to jail, drive you over to the police station for something that you might not have done or something that you might have done and you're trying to run away from it. Right. One, one of two ways. But but because you are dealing with artificial intelligence that might not see or might not have opinions. Right. Or consciousness. They're going to see things that's either right and wrong and it's black and white. There is no blurry line. But as we tell, as we can see with humans, it's not really like that. Yeah. Again, years ago, about a decade ago, I was a whole lot more. Uh, I was both hopeful in some ways, but I also had a general level of concern about uh, artificial intelligence, and I still do to an extent. There are a lot of um, AI advocates who still warn that, I mean, there have to be, as progressive developments continue to occur uh, in the effort to create a fully autonomous uh, artificial intelligence, um, a truly intelligent machine and not merely one that algorithmically can mimic humans. Although, again, trying to establish the boundary at which point a computer is merely mimicking human intelligence or is actually thinking as we would define it. I mean, some would make the argument that if it's a computer, it's never actually thinking like biological organisms do. But by the same token, if you get to a point where a machine is capable of replicating those processes that occur, uh, you know, biologically for us, and you do so so well, so efficiently, so convincingly, and maybe even improve upon those processes, that the functional thinking and the ability, the calculations, right, and the perception of that uh, AI actually exceeds levels of human intelligence. Really, is it going to matter whether it's a algorithm that's doing that, that's still mimicking biology or not, especially if that mimicking can actually perform better than we do? Now, that's where the advocates begin to be concerned because they say it's incumbent upon us now uh, to make sure that successive steps along the path toward uh, autonomous artificial intelligence, general AI, you know, there are a lot of different terms in this, uh, which again, I'm by no means an expert, but I do follow it. And I do speak to those experts from time to time because I'm interested. Uh, they would say that, you know, we've got to make sure that every ethical consideration is taken and that we implement a similar concern for ethics, for morals and for, uh, you know, charity and all these kinds of things that, you know, humans hold as important values as we're developing AI that can think for itself, lest we end up one day waking up to a grim reality where we're no longer the biggest fish in the pond, so to speak. So um, I had a lot of those kind of concerns a decade ago, and I a little less so today, in part due to the advances that we see and the inherent limitations. You know, there's been a lot of talk in recent days, Christina, about chat GPT. And uh, if you spend five or 10 minutes, I spent two minutes with chat GPT. And although I find it interesting, it's still little more than a novelty. Yes, it's very intelligent. Yes, it can do some incredible things. My brother over the holidays did a uh, little uh, demonstration where he had chat D GPT demonstrate writing songs and writing short stories and, you know, doing all kinds of things that I thought, wow, this, 
this is potentially a game changer. But as soon as I was able to get home and actually experiment myself, it became pretty evident to me that, I mean, there are distinctive limitations and AI is still a long, long, long way from being something that I think we truly have to be concerned about. Really, one of the greatest concerns right now is probably among a few others, uh, college students, you know, using it to cheat and to write papers and to do homework and things like that for them. But even then, you know, right now, ChatGPT, I think still temporarily is somewhat limited. I don't think that the information that it has accessible to it, um, although it can, of course, read the web and it can rely on search engines like you or I would, uh, it still has limitations in terms of how far back it can look and how much information it has access to. And as many experts have pointed out, unfortunately, a lot of these AI programs, they they make things up. They are able to generate a convincing sounding answer to any number of queries, but they aren't always factual. And I've actually caught some of these AI programs literally just producing fiction, nonsense in response to questions that I ask. So all that to say, I'm not as concerned as I once was because the rate of progression of AI, although it's interesting and although it definitely says, hey, you know, we are making some advances and there are definitely going to be more and more uses for this in the future. We're a long way from this being something that's truly going to be a, a, a thinking machine in the truest sense, like science fiction already would kind of instill in our minds. And so all those worries that we have about what could happen when the computer starts thinking for itself, how it perceives humans, it's going to be a little ways off, I think. I sure do hope so. You, you seem a lot more optimistic than I do. I'll just say it like that, because in this point in time, before we move on, one thing that I do want to mention is, okay, we're not having... At this time, we're not having a huge issue with AI. Everything is fine. But what we are being manipulated by is social media. And we're having this addiction to our social media, to the things that we post to see who comments and who likes, right? And to the point where a lot of people, very specifically in my generation, are dealing with a lot of negative emotions because of it. They are dealing with anxiety, depression, stress as well. And it's because of social media. Now, there was this one post that I saw that this one artist, this one photographer, and that's in quotation marks, racked up a little under 100,000 followers only to later tell his followers that all of the photographs that were seen were generated by AI. And yet that person took the credit saying that I took these pictures, right? And then so they, they work hand in hand and we're already seeing a lot of negative effects with social media, which AI works with that. And I think that when AI becomes more efficient and we're seeing a lot of progress, it might not really be for the better. But that's my perspective on it. Could that change? Of course it could. But I, I have a more negative input when it comes to AI. We'll just have to see. Again, you know, I used to be more like you. I used to worry a lot more about it. Of course, I you know, I was following Ray's Kurzweil. Ray, had been saying that, you know, this point at which uh, the development of, of advanced artificial intelligence and the, and the uh, greater than exponential growth rate of uh, capabilities like that with computer intelligence uh, would reach a what he called a singular point or a singularity. And hence uh, that famous book that he wrote a few years back, This Singularity is Near. Uh, there have been a lot of other people, though, who have talked about uh, the rate of growth of technology. And yes, I do think that it's greater than exponential. Uh, there have been a lot of people who have noted that greater than exponential trend in the growth of technology. In fact, going back to the 1970s, I think in the Journal of Computer Science, it may have been the journal, but uh, Francois Meyer and uh, Jacques Vallée, computer scientist, but also known for his UFO research, a subject we'll be discussing again here in a moment, 
uh, they also did a similar uh, paper where they noted that the rate of growth of technology increasing at the rate that it is would essentially lead to a point in the future that would really kind of present unforeseen consequences, circumstances, fill in the blank. We just don't know. Again, it's that idea that Kurzweil was talking about, about a singularity. At some point, the bottom line is this, Christina. If technology continues to uh, improve and to grow at the rate that it is, and it's unencumbered, there isn't some sort of a cataclysmic event, you know, that that suddenly disrupts the rate of growth of technology. In the years ahead, humankind will come to a reckoning point where something will probably happen uh, that is going to present unforeseen possibilities in our future, whatever that may entail. And I don't mean to be intentionally vague. I'm just saying that there have been a lot of forecasts by people in computer science and other fields that have looked at that possibility and maybe the mathematical likelihood of such an event occurring in the decades ahead. So when that occurs, how it's going to go down, who knows, but things could get interesting in a few decades. It could to the point where we have like AI ethics now. That is a thing that you need them. We need them. Exactly. But moving on to something a little bit less, a little bit less scary for some, <laughs> at least. It has to do with Ireland and UFO sightings in Ireland. Ah, such a pretty place. I love the green grass, grass and all the castles there. And the accents are also very awesome. But a leading Irish astronomer has revealed that his that he has recorded around 40 UFO sightings at his Advanced Space Observatory in Ross Common over the last 22 years. And I really like that astronomers such as himself are coming out and stating, while I'm looking at the sky and I'm observing everything that's happening, I'm also kind of seeing UFOs as well. And this isn't common that a lot of astronomers at least have publicly come out about. Yes, we do have Abby Loeb, Harvard professor. And now we're beginning to see more and more people coming out about it. So I think just off of that one sentence that I read alone, we're seeing a lot of progress with more people coming out and talking about their sightings now that they feel like they're not going to lose their credibility to do so. Yeah, this story, of course, got my attention and it being, I think, last on the official list. It was the one that I read first earlier today because it reminded me a bit of a controversial story out of Ukraine that came out uh, last year. Uh, involving studies uh, at a uh, at a um, observatory, which actually is you know associated with the National Academy of Sciences there in Ukraine, but of course embattled Ukraine, which of course has been sustaining an attempted invasion by Russia since early last year. For the study to come out, it was quite interesting where they claimed that they were observing UAP and they were characterizing them in two classes: cosmics and what they called phantoms. Now, that paper we reported at the debrief. It was also subsequently. Um, not rejected outright, but the, the authors were made to um, make mandatory changes and there were clarifications by the scientific institution that those individuals were associated with saying, these are more your opinions than uh, observations that are backed by our observatory. Uh, nonetheless, it was, it was, I think, inspiring to hear that the Ukrainians were looking at the skies and trying to discern interesting things. Now, in the case of Mr. Eamon, actually Dr. Eamon Ansbro uh, in Ireland, the uh, astronomer associated with this study, here again, I, I don't see Dr. Ansbro making extraordinary claims. He, in fact, clarifies in a lengthy article in the Irish Mirror 
that the idea of space aliens or anything like that, we can't make that insinuation here. And a lot of people do. I'm just saying that we observe objects. And he says that for the last two decades or so, he has been observing those objects from his observatory. What really stands out to me about this are two things. First of all, he is seems to be a very rationally minded um, observant astronomers. Astronomers, again, really build their reputations off of being, you know, observing the heavens and doing so methodically and and of course, trying to apply that toward our uh, the broadening understanding of the cosmos. But while he's doing that, he's not just looking at stuff out there. He's also observing things, and he's using technologies that help him discern um, what is in our sky. He he hasn't attributed any kind of provenance to him or explanations for the objects. Just says that we see them. He has noted that there are some triangular shaped objects and things along those lines. But the other thing that really stands out to me, apart from what he says he's doing, how he's doing it, and what he says he's seeing is the fact he's been doing it for two decades. You know, again, 2017 was that watershed moment where everybody started really taking this subject much more seriously. And again, you know, I'll give credence to skeptics uh, like Mick West, who I try to keep in touch with. Mick will say, you know, at the end of the day, the problem for me is that there are a lot of UFO stories. Where's the physical evidence that that is the counterbalance to those? Because without that physical proof or evidence, you know, it's just stories. Now, I would again, counter to Mick with respect to his position there. Yeah, but you know, when you got a whole lot of stories and you got all those people telling stories and there are patterns and similarities that emerge in those stories, like for instance, Dr. Ansborough talks about seeing triangle-shaped objects. I mean, just this morning, I received a very lengthy, detailed report of a large triangle-shaped object that was observed by several witnesses. And that's probably the single most consistent type or shape of UAP that I've received reports about ever. And I've been involved in this probably about as long as Dr. Ansbro, at least. So again, the point is he's been doing this for quite a while and long before it became cool again to talk about UAP and to be involved in this kind of research. And it's good to see that there are, even though he may have been doing it quietly, that there are a lot of serious professionals who are now coming out and saying, you know what? Yeah, I've been watching the skies for the last couple of decades and I see strange things too. And maybe with more data, Dr. Ansbro and others who collect that information and who you know, refine their approach and get better at detecting these objects and tracking them and evaluating what they might be and what they're capable of. Maybe going on down the road, we won't have to just talk about stories. We will actually have data to support some of those stories and observations too, and it'll help us have a fuller idea of the big picture of what UAP represent. And that's what we're all waiting for. And since 2017 into 2023, because of the mainstream media, a lot of people's attention has been drawn to the conversation of UFOs when we're getting very serious, very credible people coming out and telling their stories, telling their research. And I think that, well, with this balloon that we dealt with in early February, along with these other objects, while there isn't a lot of uh, too much information about these other objects, aside from the first one that was shot down right next to you, Micah, yeah, um, because it was covered by the mainstream media, and while the stories weren't amazing, it still brought this story to millions of eyeballs who then began to question this and then is now listening to podcasts such as this one to reading your articles at the debrief.org listening to the micah hanks program and things like this we are filling in the gaps where the mainstream media falls short but we do also need to remember that their audience is ginormous and 
it's because of them that we're able to help to the best of our abilities, fill in those gaps and give people that foundation that are not familiar with the UFO phenomenon. But at some point in time, everybody will be. Yeah, and it's becoming increasingly evident that people are now aware of this phenomenon. And again, I, I do, of course, make distinctions, as do my colleagues at an organization I'm associated with, the Scientific Coalition for UAP Studies. I was just corresponding with Rich Hoffman, one of the board members this morning. And uh, we all make a distinction between the objects that were shot down over North America in recent days and their characterization as unidentified objects, but probable balloons. And then the kind of unknowns in the skies that have been reported for decades. Or maybe if we go all the way back to Japan in 1803, even though that was a floating object, not a flying one, nonetheless, there are a lot of historic accounts that bear similarity to modern UFO reports. And maybe those shouldn't all be ruled out. Maybe they are worth analysis and consideration. But if anything, yeah, more and more people are talking about this. And, if, and I'll just add this too. If there's one real big takeaway and one, I think, benefit that has come to UAP studies or UFO studies or ufology from everything that's been going on with all the crazy shoot downs and things in recent days. It has been that there's been more discussion of it. We've seen the current president of the United States and he's not the first, but we've seen him standing up there talking about unidentified aerial objects. And although he used that terminology in characterizing these objects that were again, probably balloons that were shot down. He also was discussing some of the efforts by the DOD and the intelligence community since he took office. Uh, this, of course, now manifesting within the DOD's All-Domain Anomaly Resolution Office. And within the most recent report that came out in 2022, uh, which actually has to do with, uh, well, the report came out earlier this year, but it's for fiscal year 2022. Uh, Arrow's first report is still saying that a minor number, a small number of these objects um, do seem to display capabilities that we don't fully understand. And if that's something that China or somebody has, we haven't figured it out. My gut, Christina tells me, it's probably not China. It's probably not Russia. There's probably something else. And I think that it's really going to be interesting continuing to apply science toward trying to figure out what that is. And yeah, it's got a lot of people talking. It definitely does. We have a few minutes left, and this is your last chance to win a $125 gift card, either for Amazon or for Starbucks. Put in the live chat, hashtag roundtable for a chance to win, because Micah, we're going to do the drawing in just about a minute. Are you excited? Oh, yeah. I'm always did, excited. Did, did you put the hashtag roundtable as well? Uh, where, where am I supposed to put that? I'm apparently the technologically do it, do it, do it on YouTube. So you're going to go to this YouTube stream okay. and you're going to put hashtag round table. Okay. Oh, I got you. Also yeah. get you the equal opportunity to win as well. This is going to be so exciting. We, this is, this is the second time we've done it on this show. Last week got such good feedback. The winner of last week was Applejack's 971 and he got that card minutes after the show so i'm excited to give out 125 dollars gonna be awesome so this is your last chance i'm gonna count down to 10. you got 10 seconds to put hashtag round table before we do the drawing i'm going to share my screen here of when we do the drawing let me pull that up here it is okie dokie nice we got 137 entries Okay, but we have 320 people watching. Come on, guys. Who doesn't want to win this? And I have to say thank you for everyone that donated that wanted to give more to this giveaway. 
you're going to make someone's day. You're going to make someone so stinking happy. And I wish I could be a part of this drawing, but no, no, this is for everybody else, including Michael. You're also a part of this. Okay. We've got 144 entries. You ready to do the drawing? I am so ready. If I get any more ready, you'll explode. Then yeah, I'll just explode like a balloon. Right. So, all right, here we go. We're doing the drawing. 145 entries. Gonna win. Ah. Paul Zinder, you win. Okay, fantastic. So what you're gonna go ahead and do is you're gonna send me an email at Christina at strangeparadigms.com and just say that you won, but also please send me your YouTube URL as well in that email and I will get it sent to you. Also, let me know, do you want the Starbucks gift card or do you want an Amazon gift card? So let me know that, tell me that in the email that you won, what kind of card you want and your YouTube URL as well. Micah, it's been a really, really fun conversation. I always, always enjoy having you and Jimmy on and how you guys just jump off of one another. It's it's always so entertaining to listen in and to share my ideas here and there. But just sitting back and listening to you guys always makes me really, really happy. Um, where can people find you online if they really enjoyed what you had to say? Well, uh, I'll put out those URLs here in a moment. Of course, you know, with... Uh, Jimmy, he's obviously a dear friend of mine. I'm always reminded when I spend time with Jimmy of that scene in The Last Samurai where uh, Tom Cruise and uh, the other actor are laying there dying on the battlefield together. And he looks over and says, I do love our conversations. Yeah. So every time I talk with Jimmy, it's kind of like dying on a battlefield next to him. But that said, you can find me online at mikeace.com and also at thedebrief.org. I'm just giving Jim, Jimmy mess. We always do that to each other. But, you know, it is the true measure of friendship. And uh, I hope to see him soon. I hope to see you again soon. And, of course, I'll see both of you at least next month when we gather together here again, as we often do, in this strange little quadrant of space and time. And we discuss the strange reality that surrounds us. You betcha. And all of Micah's social media links are in the description box below. Micah, I'm going to put you backstage, okay? Got it. All right. Out of all the articles that we covered today, which one was your favorite? Let me know in the live chat. Please let me know in the comments as well. I do read all the comments, and it really does help the YouTube algorithm. When you comment, it goes out to more people. If you want to continue this conversation, go over to my Discord server with 1,400 other like-minded members. That's open 24-7. It is a friendly and secure place where you can speak to so many people on topics like these and so many more. We have multiple different types of rooms. I talk about a bunch of mysterious topics. That link is up here and it's also in the description box below as well. So join the Discord server. We also have um, voice chats as well. You don't want to miss those. Speaking, Literally speaking to other like-minded people as well. But that is it for today. Once again, Paul send me that email at christina at strangeparadigms.com so i can get that sent to you 125 dollars, bro that is amazing go you i'm happy for you but i will catch all of you next time be safe and remember keep your eyes on the skies